The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. I'm Kimberly Shirk. I'll be your moderator for today's show, and I am joined by co-authors Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage, our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a difference. So today's topic for discussion is accepting people as they are. This is described in chapter book, chapter four of managing to make a difference. Goodness, my tongue is not working quite well today. So we'll jump right in and let someone else take the mic. How about that, Larry? <laughs> we, we almost have an X-rated episode here. <laughs> Uh, congratulations. Not my intent it's at gonna, all. <laughs> it's gonna, that's going to increase our number of listeners, by gosh. Um, so we're going to jump right in. And I'm going to start with a story to show you what a difference it can make in accepting people as they are. Before I tell the story, however, I want to make this audacious statement of all the things in the book and of all the things I've taught over the years, this topic in this show today can change your life. And the reason it can change your life is if you apply what we're teaching, you will change your relationships. And I absolutely guarantee you, if you change your relationships, you will change your life. So let me give you a story about accepting people as they are. I was teaching this topic in Talent Plus, which is the company that we all work for here. I was teaching this topic in Talent Plus, and one young lady told a story about her wedding when this came up. Her fiance's sister, was identified as being the maid of honor in the wedding. And the sister was notorious for being late to everything. And she was an hour late to everything. It wasn't just a couple of minutes. And that was consistent. She was an hour late to everything. So the issue that everybody was dealing with is how do we get this woman to show up on time to the wedding? And so what the bride did was she went to the trouble and expense of having a separate engraved invitation printed. And this separate invitation said that the wedding started one hour earlier than it actually was scheduled to start. Everybody else's invitation had the right time. But this one invitation had the wrong time. And she convinced everybody to be in collusion with her and lie to the maid of honor about what time the wedding started. And lo and behold, it worked. She showed up at the wedding on time because she thought she was an hour late. This is an example of accepting people for who they are. Instead of griping at her 
and explaining to her how important this occasion was and trying to get her to have different behavior on this occasion, what the bride and her fiance did and everybody else involved, they just accepted the fact that this woman was built that way and they, they created a workaround so that she would be on time and everybody would be happy and they didn't ask her to change. This whole business of asking people to change, we're so cavalier about this. We, we, if you are in a job and you have a performance evaluation, the way that usually goes is this. It's the sandwich method. You come in and your boss tells you some good things you're doing, and then the boss gives you some stuff about things that you need to change. Like, you need to be more organized. You need to be more detail-oriented. Uh, you're, you're not a great team player. You need, need to be more sensitive to people. As if you could go out and go to a department store and somehow acquire this capability. And we do this constantly. We do it to our relatives. We do it to our friends. We want them to change. We want them to be perfect. So if you're late all the time, I'm betting every single listener knows someone who is chronically late. And not only that, I'm betting that the person who is chronically late, the person you know, if you're listening, is predictable how late they're going to be. For some people, it's usually 15 minutes. For some people, it's 30 minutes. For some people, it's five minutes. And for this one woman I, I talked about, it was an hour. So you know somebody who's chronically late. And many of you have tried to help that person not be late. And so what have you done? You've done, you know, the obvious techniques. You have created uh, consequences for when the person is late. Uh, you have tried positive reinforcement when the person is on time. You might have even tried punishment. You might have said, listen, we are leaving for the country club at 10 a.m. And by gosh, if you're not here, uh, we're going to leave without you. And none of that stuff, none of that stuff has worked. But let me tell you what's going on. You're hurting your relationship because you're telling this person there's something wrong with you. You need to fix something here. And you're not accepting the person for who they are. And the more you do that with somebody, the more it's going to hurt your relationship. And you may think it's not hurting it much, and you might be right, but think of how frequently this is done in our society, where bosses tell people to change, where we tell our friends to change. I'll tell you a story about when I first got married. My wife's name is Sally. I had gone grocery shopping. And I pulled up into the driveway and I had four or five good sized sacks of groceries, paper, paper sacks of groceries. And I decided for my own amusement, I was going to see if I could get all these sacks into the house on one trip. And so I strategically thought about how I was going to carry these sacks and I got them out of the trunk and I had them and I had the keys in my mouth and I was walking toward uh, the front porch. And it so happened my wife looked out the door, I looked out the window rather, and saw that I was uh, struggling from her point of view with all these sacks. So just as I got to the door and I was going to figure out how I was going to unlock the door without putting down a sack of groceries, she opens the door and just rips a sack of groceries out of my 
out of my hands. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm helping. I said, you know, I have a big mouth. If I need help, I'm perfectly capable of asking for it. I had something going on here. I had a personal challenge. I was trying to get these sacks in in one trip. I didn't want any help. And she apologized to me. And she said, I, and I'm going to try to change that. And I said, I don't need you to change that. She said, why? It annoys you. I said, yeah, but that's who you are. You're just spontaneously helpful. And sometimes it causes this kind of disharmony, but I know why you're doing it. And I have no need for you to change that because quite frankly, the likelihood you can change it is very close to zero. And I am, you're never going to hear me complain about that, even when this comes up from time to time. And she actually didn't know how to respond at that point. We were pretty much newlyweds. And uh, so I'm sorry, I got distracted there for a minute. I apologize to everyone. So she learned over time what can happen when you're not asking people to change all the time and when you accept them as they are with all of their flaws, because we all have them. We all have aces and spaces. And when you start accepting people as they are, what's really going on is this is the ultimate celebration of diversity. It's not diversity by group, by ethnic group, by age, by gender. It's diversity person by person, accepting each person as they are and honoring that and dealing with people on that basis. And I can assure you, when you start doing this with the people you really care about, your relationship is going to improve. And that's why this is going to change your life. Something you said was really interesting to me, that that the likelihood to change uh, was not very high. Kim, when you think about that statement, what comes to mind for you? The likelihood to change, uh, you know, I, I like how Larry says we're very cavalier about asking people to change. And people are going to be more likely to change in small directions that are consistent with who they are than they are in large measure uh, in directions that are inconsistent with who they are. In the book, we talk a lot about life themes, and the idea of themes is kind of interwoven throughout everything we think and do. Um, themes are those consistent patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving that pers- persist in people. They, they are the things that when you think about those people you went to high school with, you know, the person who was the class clown is still the class clown. The person who was really shy is still really shy. The person who was really outgoing and made everything fun is still that person. Um, the kinds of themes that we think about are, as Larry was describing and Sally, helpfulness. Um, as Larry is describing in himself, the desire to take on interesting personal challenges. <laughs> Um, these are themes in people that are persistent and difficult for them to change. And so when we're asking to people to change at that level, at the level of the things that kind of define who they are, that kind of change is very unlikely. I think that's really interesting. Do you, 
audience members have burning questions related to this topic or another management issue that you want to tackle, we definitely want to hear from you during this broadcast. So you can simply click the email host button just above that podcast description and we'll be able to work out those topics in our upcoming podcast. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Kim, I'd like to explore that a little bit more, the measure of change that can possibly happen and why we shouldn't try to do that, why we should truly try and accept people for who they are. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Engaged cultures bring more productivity, innovation, higher retention, better customer satisfaction, and profitability. And having the tools and knowledge needed to become a cultural change agent makes you the champion. So get plussed. Join Talent Plus for a day on-site with us or at your corporate office and walk away with at least 50 benchmarkable ideas you can implement immediately. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, and thanks so much for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon. We've been talking about accepting people as they are, and this is just one of the chapters from this soon-to-be-released book, Managing to Make a Difference. So you can for sure pre-order your copies today on barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com for yourself or your entire management team. So give that some thought as you think about your teams and how you're structuring those. Right before the break, Kim, we were talking about how people don't often change in great measure with talents and themes that are not naturally um, do not naturally come to them. Do you want to ex- explore that a little bit more? Yeah, people are, we all have this sense that people are kind of wired up a certain way. And what we're pointing out in this chapter and with this idea of accept people as they are 
is that when you ask people to change at that deep level of who they are and how they're wired and how they just naturally think and feel and behave, you're going to fail. You might be able to get people to change on some smaller, more insignificant things that are less related to who are they as a person. But when you get into that deep wiring, look, I am a helpful person. You can't ask me not to be helpful. Or I am a person who is extremely disorganized. And, yeah, I've tried every single method in the book, but the reality is I'm not organized. You're going to fail if you ask that person to change. There are other ways to change the outcomes that don't necessarily connect to changing the person. Well, that's great. I, I want to have a s- story here about how difficult it really is to make some of these changes. I know someone who is really not very pleasant to be around. He's a curmudgeon. And it's well known by his, his friends and family that this is the way he's built. He's been this way for a long time. And he had a significant emotional event in his life, which often people talk about changing when they've had a significant emotional event. And this is what happened to him. His mother became ill and he moved to the little town where she lived. He moved there with his wife in order to help his mother get well, in order to nurse her back to health. And when he got there, he noticed that she didn't have a lot of friends. She didn't have other children coming to help take care of her. And here was the significant emotional event. He realized that that's because she wasn't a very nice person and that he was just like her. And he came to the insight that unless he changed, he was also at some point in time going to be old and alone. And so he made a commitment that he was going to change. And in fact, he did successfully change. It was remarkable. Almost overnight, he became a warm person. He was a pleasure to be around. He had a good sense of humor. He was empathetic. uh, All around pleasant. And this continued on for about three years. And right around the three-year mark, I found myself just coincidentally alone with him in our living room. And I, I said, listen, you know, I've studied this. I teach about this. And I want to tell you, very few people can make the kind of changes that you have made. And I want to commend you for this because I admire you. I don't know that I personally could make those kinds of changes. And his reply to me was, you know, thanks for saying that. But the old person is just beneath my skin, always trying to get out. And shortly after we had that conversation, he woke up one day and said to his wife, you know, I am just tired of being nice to people. It hurts me physically to be nice to people. And he couldn't sustain it. 
And the interesting thing was he was experiencing all of the benefits that he wanted to experience by making these changes and acting like a nice guy. And even though he was experiencing all of these benefits, he still couldn't sustain it because that's not who he is. And he went back to his old self uh, despite that. That's how difficult it is to make fundamental changes that require you to exhibit responses that you don't really have in your repertoire. Um, you know, try to install a sense of humor in somebody who doesn't have a good sense of humor. It's, it's darn near impossible. And so it, in business and in your personal life, if you are constantly asking a person for a response that they don't have in their repertoire, you're going to destroy their self-esteem. And this person, I was, my story was somebody who wanted to make this change on his own. Nobody was asking him to make the change. But too often, particularly in business, we ask somebody to exhibit a response that they don't have in their repertoire. And it can get even worse because if you're the boss and you're asking for this response, let's say you're asking somebody who is an introvert to act like an extrovert because their job is one where they have to greet a lot of people they don't know. And you're asking them to act like an extrovert. And this is, this is not pleasant for them. So you're continually asking them for this response, which really is one they don't have in their repertoire. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to destroy their self-esteem. It gets worse if you say, I don't know why you can't do this because I can do it and I'm nobody special, it's easy for me to do this, and it's easy for everybody else on the team to do this. So if you're not doing it, it must be your attitude. And so now the boss is not only requiring the response, but is assuming that the reason that the boss isn't getting the response is because the person doesn't want to give it. It isn't that. In so many cases, it's they're not wired that way. They can't give you that kind of a response. Uh, they just know that. You know, last last night I uh, watched a recorded interview with a golfer by the name of Phil Mickelson. And for people who don't know anything about the world of golf, Phil Mickelson is one of the great golfers of all time. And he's known for taking high-risk shots when he's on the fairway. And, and he the, the interviewer asked him about this, and he just said, yeah. He said, Sometimes I do stupid stuff. Uh, and he just accepts that about himself. He's going to take these shots, which are very, very high risk. And it's one of the things that makes golf interesting and challenging for him. And it's just the way he's wired. And his caddy understands that. And he understands that about himself. And he isn't trying to change that. So if we can get to a point where we're accepting people for who they are, and we know they're not perfect, I know I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. And I don't expect you to be perfect. I don't expect you to exhibit behaviors that you just don't have in your repertoire. You know, I uh, when I was in kindergarten, uh, my teacher just told me I had a big mouth. And uh, she was right. And she tried all kinds of things to get me to not have a big mouth. Guess how I earn my living today? I learn it because I earn my living because I have a big mouth. Mm -hmm. 
And and I, you know, who knows what might have happened if they had viewed that as part of my talent rather than as a flaw in my character. Well, and what would happen if parents and teachers and managers, who this is really for, um, but many people who are managers are often parents and teachers and coaches as well, what if we started to treat asking somebody to change, asking somebody to be nicer or to stop being such a big mouth or um, to be more helpful or whatever we're asking people to change? What if we started thinking about that as being as ludicrous as asking them to get taller? Yeah, you what know would what they say about, about professional basketball players, you can't coach height. <laughs> exactly. You, you can't coach height. What you have to do as a coach is you have to look at what that person does well. You have to look at what they do naturally. You have to look at who are they, how are they built, how are they wired up, and how do I put them in a place where they can be the most successful? Instead of asking them to change to become more successful, how do I use what they bring to the table and help them optimize their success with it? You know, there's another sports analogy Kim, that I think uh, is very powerful on this point, and that's baseball. If any listener knows enough about baseball, particularly Major League Baseball, you know that pitchers are notoriously bad at batting, and baseball coaches and managers don't send the pitcher to batting practice. They don't call the pitcher in and they say, you're an unbelievably great pitcher. Why are you practicing pitching all the time? What you're bad at is batting. Why, you never go to batting practice. What's wrong with you? I am insisting that you spend your time in batting practice instead of pitching practice. And, and uh, our listeners might not know this, but Kim Turnage uh, is a sports coach. Kim, what do you predict is going to happen to a pitcher's pitching if they spend their time in batting practice rather than pitching practice? They're going to be a less good pitcher because they're going to be spending less time working on what they need to be good at and what they are naturally good at. And I'm even more concerned about what's going to happen to their motivation and their love for the sport, because you keep putting them into a position where they have to do something they're not good at. You keep putting them into a position where no matter how hard they work, they're not going to get that much better. And it becomes very discouraging and it can kill a kid's joy for the sport. So the workaround in Major League Baseball, they don't do that. They don't ask a pitcher to go to batting practice. What do they do instead? I'll tell you what they well, do. Well, doesn't it depend on which league you're in? It does, but in either case, <laughs> some, but in both cases, somebody else is batting. Right. So in, in one league, you get a designated hitcher, a pitcher, or a hitter, excuse me, you get a designated hitter, and in the other league, if the pitcher is coming up to bat at a crucial moment and you really need a hit, you put in a pinch hitter. That is accepting somebody with their strengths and weaknesses and not expecting them to get better in an area of weakness and having a workaround instead of asking them to get better. That's what teamwork is about. When one team member says, I'm really good at that, and the other team members, thank God you're here because I'm not really good at that, and we really need somebody on this team who's good at that. So this can be summarized in the following way for our listeners. Don't send your pitchers to batting practice. 
<laughs> so when we come back, we're going to take a quick short break. And when we come back, we're going to explore when you do accept people for who they are, how does that make them feel? And how does it change their performance or how does it make them perform differently that can benefit your organization and your team? So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Engaged cultures bring more productivity, innovation, higher retention, better customer satisfaction, and profitability. And having the tools and knowledge needed to become a cultural change agent makes you the champion. So get plussed. Join Talent Plus for a day on site with us or at your corporate office and walk away with at least 50 benchmarkable ideas you can implement immediately. Reserve your spot today at Talent Plus. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person -person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We've been discussing the impact of accepting people as they are. And one of the things I'm most intrigued with is when you do that, when you accept people for truly who they are and help them work with their strengths, how do they perform differently? I'm, I'm intrigued to, to know some examples and, and get your thoughts on that. Kim, you're up. <laughs> well, in my experience, what happens, and I'll, I'll say this as a coach of, of high school hurdlers, um, you know, what happens when you accept them as they are is you set them up to succeed, and they know that you care about them. They know that you see in them what's good about them. They know you're going to help them get better at something that they have real potential to succeed in. And they know that, they're not going to, that you're not going to make them work on something that they can't do. Their motivation increases. Their relationship with you as their coach 
improves because they trust you and they know that you get them. They know that you appreciate them for who they are and what they bring to this process and that you're going to help them get better in the places where they can get better the best, where they have the most potential to improve and succeed. What do you think the difference between changing someone and encouraging them to make different decisions for a specific business outcome might be? You know, we all know that as managers and and leading teams, sometimes you need to direct people's focus to a specific project or task or something like that. So, so, So what's the delicate balance there? Well, directing someone's focus actually is one of the most important things any leader does is direct the focus of the people who report to them. And uh, whatever your politics are, you can see that going on. We have a new president, and the president is directing the focus of various agencies uh, that eventually report up to the president. And that's that's one of the most important parts of leadership, is insisting that people focus on what the leader believes are the most important uh, priorities. The difference in asking somebody to change and asking for a particular behavior can be very hard to discern because if you have a gift, if you have a talent, it doesn't feel like a gift. It comes so naturally to you. It's, it's what I like to teach is assume for a minute you, you caught a fish and it was a talking fish and you ask the fish to tell you about the water I would bet big money that the fish would say, what water? The fish doesn't notice the water. And each of the listeners here probably doesn't notice their own giftedness. And it it comes out of their own humility. They don't see themselves as anybody special. And as a matter of fact, every single person listening to this broadcast has gifts. And in certain respects, every one of you is special because you've been given certain gifts that the rest of us haven't been given. But those the, those gifts come so naturally to you that you don't really recognize them as a gift or a talent. Uh, and you think anybody can do that just because you can do it. You think anybody can do that. And this is, this is one of the reasons that sales training doesn't work because the sales trainers are very gifted at sales and they say, well, just do this. And you'll close a lot more business. And what they're overlooking is the people listening to them can't just do this. They don't have those responses in their repertoire. Uh, Some of them do. And some of them will do this. And that's where they get their testimonials. But the rest of us uh, can't do this. So discerning what behaviors are coming out of your giftedness, you, you often can't get outside of your own head to discern, is this coming out of my giftedness or is this something anybody can do? And, and I think leaders and managers and supervisors too often make the mistake of just assuming that just because they can do it and it's easy for them, that anybody uh, should be able to do that if they just have the right motivation and the right uh, attitude and the right training. And that's a, that's a fundamental piece of false news that we've been given in our society is that anybody can do anything they want 
if they just work hard enough at it and get the right training, et cetera. It's more about attitude and hard work. And, and the people who say that are overlooking the following truth. Aptitude matters. Giftedness matters. Yes, you can do anything you want at some level of mediocrity, but that's what not that's not what Kim Turnage and I are concerned about here in this in this broadcast. We're concerned about helping people identify those things that they can do at a high level of excellence that they have the aptitude to do. They might not yet have had the 10,000 hours of practice. They might not have had good mentoring, good coaching yet. So they might not have realized that potential, but it's, it's recognizing that potential. And again, this comes back to accepting people as they are. As, as Kim Turnage said, when she's coaching track and field, she's recognizing what certain competitors can have the aptitude to do well and help them focus on those things rather than something else. You know, I, I, believe it or not, I read advice columns. I like advice columns. And many, many years ago in Dear Abby, a woman had written in and she was talking about her son who was about 12. And she said, my son is, she didn't even use the word pathological, but my son lies all the time, very consistently. And he does it even when he's not in trouble. He just likes to have people on. And this is not good. And I, I've tried to break him of this habit. I've taken him to the priest. I've taken him to the school counselor. I've, you know, brought a lot of resources to bear and tried a lot of things. But he's good at it. So he gets people to believe what he's telling him. He leads them down. And he just finds this to be amusing. And, and so the, the, the writer said to Dear Abby, help me with this. How can I, how can I break him of this habit? And uh, the response was very interesting. The response was, suppose you viewed that as a gift. Where would an ability like that make a lot of sense? Now, I've asked this question in a lot of classrooms and the first answer I get is, yeah, maybe you can be a lawyer or a politician. And that's all. That's an amusing answer. And I know a lot of listeners immediately would go there. However, uh, when we get to more serious answers, this person could be a writer. Hey, you're good at making up stories that people believe. Let's write them down. Let's see if we can get them published. Let me get you some some teaching and some coaching on how to be even better at that. Uh, but when, when Aunt Seal asks you what happened at school today, that's not the time to make up a story. Uh, so, there are, so you give the, the child an outlet for this gift. If you just view it as a gift, you give them an outlet. And so they're good at that. And you get them to make a distinction about when to do that and when not to do that. And let me just point out that being a good liar is very important in certain professions. And one of them that really has a lot of benefits for everybody listening is undercover police work. If you are going undercover in law enforcement and you're not good at lying and you don't enjoy doing it every day, you could, you could die uh, when, if, if you don't do that well. So there's even a fit for people who like to lie and who are good at it, but they make a distinction. 
it's time to lie now. It's not time to lie over here. And and as, as uh, Kim Turner said earlier in the broadcast, suppose you start viewing these things as gifts. How, how would you then respond and how would you honor the way this person is built? And Kim, when I consider the track team that you coach and when you share with those students that you're going to help them be better at something they're already naturally inclined to do, what does that what does that mean for their performance? What do you see in them? Not only do you see them be highly motivated, but, but what are the results? Well, they're better at it. They get better faster. They They have a lot of room. If they've never done something before, they have a lot of room they can grow, but they're going to achieve that growth so quickly, and the ceiling is so much higher for them than it is for somebody who starts out without that great aptitude, that they, they perform better, faster, they're more dedicated to what they're doing. They're more excited about it. So that motivation still comes in. And I don't think we can underestimate the power of that motivation because it kicks everything up a notch. It kicks up their desire to be at practice, their desire to work hard, their desire to do that hard thing that they do have to learn in order to get better. And even though they have potential and aptitude for it, there's still a lot that they have to learn in that motivation pushes into that so effectively. And they know that you believe in them because you've told them that you see this strength in them. You've called it out. You've named it. And then you give them the ability to claim it for themselves and to own it and build on it because you saw what was right with them. Boy, I'll tell you. Instead of seeing what was wrong. That is so powerful, Kim, this, the, the whole business of a coach and a mentor calling out someone's gift, calling out the potential they see and naming it. That has so much power for a person. It's darn near like you're creating it. And you know you're not if you're the coach. You know it's in them. You know you're not putting it in there. But it sometimes feels that way when you call it out. And sometimes you call it out before the person herself even knows that it's there. And that is one of the most rewarding things about being a coach, about being a mentor, about being a supervisor or a manager, is those moments where you can call those gifts out and name them for somebody and then fan that fan that ember until it becomes a conflagration. I love this concept of that motivation, not only on the track field, but how it translates to the boardroom. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how we see that play out in business every single day. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox. 
focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Engaged cultures bring more productivity, innovation, higher retention, better customer satisfaction, and profitability. And having the tools and knowledge needed to become a cultural change agent makes you the champion. So get plussed. Join Talent Plus for a day on site with us or at your corporate office and walk away with at least 50 benchmarkable ideas you can implement immediately. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person -person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. A reminder that that book will be released on May 1st, but you can pre-order those things, uh, those books for yourself or your team right now on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. So, um, be considering how that might be helpful to your teams as we move forward. You know, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, one of the things we were talking about pre previous to the break was this motivation and, and how it translates then to the business world. How does it translate to um, the boardroom, if you will? So I'd love to hear just thoughts or examples of either you being a team member that was motivated um, by being accepted for who you are or, or how you have done that in a management sense. Well, I, I'll start. I, I'm trying to think of, well, I'm going to talk about somebody I worked with in Singapore, Bruce Tan. Bruce was just coming out of the Navy where he was a navigator. And I was considering him for a position at the Ritz-Carlton Singapore. I was opening that hotel. I was an executive. And I was just interviewing Bruce, considering him for a position during the interview, I got a sense that he could be a good fit for a role in the hotel, and the title was quality officer. And this was a person who would redesign processes. Uh, Ritz-Carlton at the time was really into total quality management, and we had just won a couple of Malcolm Baldrige awards. So we had this position in the hotel called quality officer was not a position Bruce had ever done before, but I, I got a sense during the interview 
that this would be a good fit for him. And so I asked him if he would be interested. We wound up hiring Bruce, putting him in the position. The vice president of quality came over to give Bruce some initial training in this area. And the vice president said that Bruce Tan was the best student he had ever encountered in this area, going from zero knowledge to somebody who was demonstrating a high level of competency. And so when, you know, that was one of the times where I did see that potential. I did call it out. I did get it right. And Bruce made immense contributions to the success of that hotel as we went through our opening pains. Kim, any thoughts um, from teams you've served on or um, teams in, uh, within Talent Plus that, that you can recognize where that motivation has just really projected you forward? You know, I think I can maybe tell my own story um, about how I wound up uh, studying in, doing graduate studies in, in psychology and particularly in research methods and statistics. Um, I started out as a psychology major undergraduate who had to take the required research methods and statistics class and put it off as long as I could before I took it because I dreaded it so much and ran into a teacher who made it exciting and helped me see how, even though I didn't love math, how my love for logic and the way that I love putting things together and solving problems was an aptitude for something I had never even imagined for myself. And when at the conclusion of that course, Dr. Cal Garbin, who's been a lifelong mentor for me, well, at least since that point, um, said, hey, I want you to join my research lab because I see something in you and I want you to try it out. So I did. And two years later, he said, hey, I want you to apply for graduate school because... I see something in you, and I know that you can do more with this, and I think you'd be great. So I did. (laughs) And here I am today, you know, with a Ph.D. in an area that, honestly, I was just trying to get through the thing. I just came to it knowing you had to, so I was going to buckle down and get it done. And it turned into one of the greatest passions and successes of my life because somebody said, I see that in you. I want you to try it, and I'm going to be there with you to help you. And what's your relationship with that professor now? He is, uh, as I said, has been, excuse me, a lifelong friend, um, an ongoing mentor, and a person who I consider uh, one of my greatest cheerleaders and supporters and one of the people who's the most willing to tell me if I'm about to do something stupid. Um, <laughs> which are all really great qualities in a mentor. Um, but that relationship continues after 30 years. So I want to come back to the title of the book, and the title of this series of broadcasts, which is Managing to Make a Difference. One of the most important ways that any manager can make a difference in the lives of the people who report to him or her is to, number one, Accept them for who they are. Don't ask them to change. Identify their areas of giftedness, their talent, their potential, and invest in those things and find workarounds for the areas 
where they don't have that kind of giftedness, find workarounds. The way to have great teamwork is to create synergy among the team members. And the way to create synergy among the team members is to have complementary strengths. So when team members have complementary strengths, you get all of the all of the the tasks that need to be performed by that team, all of the results that need to be achieved, you get those achieved with excellence because the excellence is there and the team members can get comfortable saying, thank God you're here because we really need what you bring. And managers who can do this make a huge deposit in the emotional bank accounts of their people. They help their people grow. They help them gain confidence. And again, they're not asking for responses that any individual on the team doesn't have in their repertoire. And as Kim said, when that happens, your self-esteem goes up, your motivation goes up, and your your willingness to even get a little bit better at some of the things that aren't so attractive to you goes up as well. And so does the performance of the team as a whole. Because you've got people working on things that they individually are excited about and that they're going to do better than any of their teammates would. And so the overall performance of the team is optimized when instead of asking that person who's not good at the task that needs to be done by the team to get better at it and do it, you ask the person who is good at it and loves doing it to do it. And we hear a lot about Maslow's hierarchy and the top of that hierarchy is self-actualization. That's what we're talking about here. Self-actualization is becoming more of who you really are, not changing. That's not self-actualization. Self-actualization is becoming more of who you really are and having that celebrated. So among other things, you as a manager can help your employees self-actualize through their work. What a great thing. You know, Larry, before we started, you said this is the single most important chapter. And, and I think that's, that's so true. When we make people feel significant for who they are and then give them platforms to be able to explore that and grow those talents, what an amazing gift. So I thank you both for your time today. Um, I see that our next podcast next week is Tolerate Undesirable Behaviors, Fair But Not Equal. Boy, does that sound intriguing. Any quick thoughts? Yeah, why the heck would you want to tolerate undesirable behaviors? Well, tune, tune in next week and find out. There are good reasons. Perfect. And just a reminder, if you have any questions or comments for any one of us, just simply click that email host button just above the podcast description, and we'll work on those topics and work them into our upcoming podcasts. So we hope you have a great week, Kim and Larry. Thanks so much for joining us. And until then, we hope that you manage to make a difference in those around you every day. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.